So a few months ago, I get an email from my credit card company, which is not usually a good thing. And I open up the email, and they say, there's been these suspicious charges. Have you been making these purchases? And I look at it, and no, I have not been spending several nights at a high-end luxury resort in Kentucky lately. So I call up the, ins- or the credit card company, you know, their fraud and identity theft line, and we have to talk through, no, it wasn't me, what do we need to do, and we need to get the card canceled and get a new thing and have this investigated, and all this stuff, credit card fraud and identity theft are not fun things. And I would guess by this point, many of us, maybe most of us, have experienced some form of identity theft in the last few years. And it's annoying, it's exasperating, it's painful, sometimes it's costly, and we just want to undo it all and go back to the way things should be. Well, spiritually, we've all also suffered some form of identity theft. Sin has wrecked who we should be. Our own choices bend us around to to not being right. The devil is continually at work to try to make us something different than who God designed us to be. And often we don't even know who we're supposed to be. So in this series, we'll pick it up on and off over the next few months. In this series, we'll be talking about who are we? Who are we? Or to put it another way, who has God made us? Who has God restored us to be? So we're calling this sermon series, Who Are We? God's gift of identity to us. And we'll be working through some texts in Genesis and Exodus to answer that question. We're going to begin this morning with Genesis chapter 1. We'll begin at the beginning and we'll read Genesis 1 from verse 26 to verse 31. Hear the word of the Lord. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. This is God's word for us gathered here today. The main message of this text and our first point for this morning is that we human beings are created in God's image. God created us in his image. G.K. Chesterton once told a parable about a little boy, and we'll call him Keith. Chesterton didn't, but we'll call him Keith. And Keith is this young boy who's given a choice. He can either become gigantic, really, really big, or he can become tiny, really, really small. And Keith chooses to become huge. He becomes so big that his head brushes the clouds. 
He walks across a continent in an afternoon, and when a mountain range gets in his way, he just kicks it over. He wades in the Atlantic Ocean like it's a pond, and he scoops gray whales up to take a look at them in his hand. And when he's tired, he just flops down over a landscape, stretches out over a couple states, and takes a nap. And it's all kinds of fun for about a day. And then Keith gets really bored, and he thinks, I should have made the other choice. The whole world is open to him, but it just seems a little small. But he thinks if he'd become small, if he'd become tiny, then his own backyard would have been like an Amazonian rainforest. His gerbil would have been like a woolly mammoth. A tub of ice cream would have been a magical winter playground that was edible. Keith wishes he could have been something different. Now, I'm not sure either choice is right. I think actually both of them would have their problems. But sometimes in life, we want to be bigger than who we really are. We want to be like God. We want to have our head brush the clouds. We want to be bigger than all our little problems. We want to have power and prestige and all of that. But we're just not that big. We're not God. And then there are other times in life when we feel really, really small. We feel like we don't matter at all. We feel like maybe even God doesn't really care about us. But that's wrong too. We're not big like God, but we're not so small that we don't matter either. And Genesis 1 here gives us an antidote to both of those feelings, to both of those senses. Genesis makes us the right size. Genesis sets us free from having to carry the whole burden of the universe And it also sets us free from being meaningless specks on a doomed planet. And Genesis does that by telling us that God made us in his image. So this morning we'll reflect on three ways that that God made us in his image and how that makes us the right size. Being God's created people, being made in God's image, means that God places a special value on us. God values us. Jeff's a bench warmer. He's been playing middle school basketball the last couple years. And when I say playing middle school basketball, I mean he's been sitting on the end of the bench watching other people play middle school basketball. Jeff gets to be on the floor in practice, and he gets to run around and pretend he's defending people. And he gets to run around on offense and pretend that he might someday get the ball, though everyone knows they're never going to pass it to him. And everyone knows that Jeff is never going to play in a real game. He's that kid on the end of the bench who sits there in his jacket and his breakaway pants every single game, and he and everybody else knows he's never going to get to break away those breakaway pants and get in the game. Not going to happen for him. Unless maybe the team is way, way ahead. If they're ahead by 20 and there's a minute left, maybe the coach will put him in for a couple minutes. But... But if he ever actually gets the ball in his hand in a real game, the rest of his team is going to panic. And his coach is probably going to call a timeout. Jeff is the end of the bench bench warmer. Just a practice body. Just a cog in the machine. Now life tells a lot of us, probably almost all of us at some point, that we don't really matter. Some of us learn that sitting on the end of the middle school basketball bench and never getting into the game. Some of, us, some of us learn it when we get rejection letters from the colleges we really wanted to go to. Some of us learn it when our girlfriend or boyfriend dumps us. 
Some of us learn that when our latest and greatest job just goes away and we're told, get out the door, you're done here. Some of us learn that when our job uses us up and keeps demanding more and more and more and yet doesn't ever appreciate anything that we do. Unless we're really, really fortunate, we will all learn at some point in life that, that we're just a cog in the machine, that we're just keeping the seat warm till the next person comes along. And there are parts of our lives where that, to be honest with you, is true for all of us. There are parts of our lives for almost all of us where we are just the next cog in the machine. But when it comes to our real identity, when it comes to who we really are, Genesis 1 shows us that that is not true. That we aren't just rejects, that we aren't just cogs in the machine because God values us deeply. Because we human beings are created in God's image, all of us and each of us matter deeply because God values us. And Genesis 1, those verses that we read for today, show us that in several ways. Genesis 1 goes through a whole creation story, and we didn't read most of it for today, but what we read is the pinnacle, the high point. Genesis shows us God making all kinds of things, and then he puts humanity at the top. And with the other things that God creates, if you've read the Genesis 1 story, you may have noticed God says, let there be. Let the, let the land produce vegetation. Let the water produce teeming creatures. Let the land produce living creatures. And those are all good things, but God says of all of them, let there be. And then when it comes to humanity, God does something different. He says, let us make. Not let there be, which God is involved in, but let us make. When it comes to humanity, God acts in a special way, different from how he creates everything else that there is. There's a step up there in level of relationship and care. And then in verse 27, the word create shows up three times. The text wants us to hear that God himself, God himself is creating human beings. God created humans. In the image of God, he created us. Male and female, he created us. The text with that repetition wants us to hear that God made us special. And then there's that line where the text tells us that God created humanity in his image and likeness. God makes us somehow like himself. He creates us to know things, to be righteous, to be holy. He creates us to be in a relationship with him. He creates us to rule over creation. God made humanity special and unique. And that means that he made each of us special and unique. If life has been crushing you lately, if you are sitting on the end of the bench knowing you are never going to get into that game, then you can still hold your head high. Because in God's scheme, all of us matter. The Lord himself made you in his image. And that makes every human life unique and irreplaceable. The unborn baby and the 102-year-old lady both matter because God values them, because God cares about them, because God made them in his 
image. We matter because God values us. And our lives have meaning because God has entrusted us with work to do. The Lord didn't just set us, up, set us loose on earth to kind of wander around pointlessly. He gave us the call, the commissioning, the mandate to take care of His creation. God gives human beings the job of ruling over and taking care of His world. In the ancient world, many cultures had an understanding of the image of God. They would talk about it a lot, but it was always the king. Great high king man could serve and represent and bear the image of God, but little farmer man never would. The ancient world maybe understood that the king, the great one, Maybe he could rule over the rest of creation. Maybe he could represent God. Maybe he could be God's steward in the world. But the rest of us, well, we didn't really matter that much, to be honest with you. But the Bible takes that picture and it expands it to include everybody. Not just king big man, but farmer little man and everybody. Everybody are called to have a part in ruling over the world. Every human being. Every single human being represents God in this world. We serve as his ambassadors, as his stewards to the rest of creation. In verse 26, God says, let's make man in our image. And then he goes on to say, let humanity rule. And then he goes on, let humanity rule over everything. And then in verse 28, God blesses humanity and he tells us to be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over it. God made us to rule over the world. And that doesn't mean that we get to do whatever we want. It doesn't mean that we misuse or abuse or exploit creation. It means that we have the call and the gift of developing the world. It means that we as human beings are called to dig deeply into how the world works, to get into science and to see how God has made things and how we can use them for our good and for the good of the whole world. And this means that we're called to develop culture. We're called to be, to be about the arts and about literature and about architecture and about everything that we can do to make life good for each other, to make life good for humanity. God calls us to develop His world. I heard a set of images that really helped me understand this, that, that we're not called to be just park rangers. Some people act as if human beings should just leave the world as is, as if nature in its untamed state is the best way to be. But we're not park rangers if we're believers. We don't just leave things as they are. But we're also not just a construction crew. Humanity is not called to pave over the whole world, turn the whole thing into a mall and a parking lot. That's not what we're called to do either. We're called to be gardeners. We're called not to destroy the world, but to make it better. We're called to cultivate the world, to take what we find and to form it, to help it to grow, to develop. We're called to serve God by taking care of the world. And I know sometimes work, labor, doesn't sound real great. I know sometimes it's hard, but when we don't have work, when we aren't able to do this thing that God calls us to do, 
our lives lose meaning. I read a reflection by another pastor this last week that fits my own experience in visiting people in nursing homes and hospitals. That often you go and you visit somebody and you ask how they're doing and you get the update about kind of their physical health and what's planned and what's going on and we read some scripture, we pray. But an awful lot of the time, awful lot of the time the person sitting in the assisted living facility or the nursing home or the hospital will say I just I don't know what to do with myself my life is so empty because I can't do anything I have so much time and so little to do and I feel so worthless I hear that all the time from people in hospitals and nursing homes If we don't have some part in taking care of God's creation, our lives lose their meaning. We lose part of ourselves. So we're all called. We're all called to help cultivate the world, to help take care of God's creation. And at different stages of life, we might have different calls. If you're a young person, you're called to learn, to understand God's creation, to to go to school to find out what the world is like. And as a young person, you're also called to enjoy the world, to just have fun, to play. And as we grow older, the day comes when our call is to contribute to society by getting a job, by learning a trade, by producing goods or services that hopefully help other people. As the years go by, some of us are blessed with, with the call to, to raise and to train up little ones to take their place in the world. And even when the day comes that most of our lives are behind us, we still still are called to do good work. From birth to death, we are called to do good work in this world. The people I know who do best in hospitals and nursing homes are the people who, who find a way to serve God, who find a way to do good work even in limited circumstances. I've had some people say to me, I didn't know what to do with myself, And then I realized, even if I can just sit here, I can pray. And so every week I get the bulletin mailed to me and I pray through every single person and every single activity in there. And I pray for my family and I go through my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids and I start over. Or some other people have said to me, you know, there's not a lot I can do, but I can be encouraging to everyone I come into contact with. So the aides, I try to compliment them when they do their work well and try to take an interest in them and let them know that their work is appreciated. And whenever my family or friends visit, I try to be encouraging and let them know that I care about them and that I'm thinking of them. We do best when we find good work to do. And that doesn't mean just a job, but we do best when we find good, worthwhile ways to spend our time. People who get that, people who live out that part of God's image are the happiest, the most content, and the most productive people. One final point this morning about what it means that we're God's created people. It means that God takes care of us. We are God's created people and God cares for us. A number of years ago, an older couple that I sort of knew was moving from their house of 70 years into a nursing home. And it's been long enough I've forgotten their names, but we'll call them Peter and Betty. And Peter and Betty had been living in this same place for decades and decades, and they'd probably stayed a little bit too long, and they weren't quite on top of stuff. 
So their son, Henry, was helping them figure out where they were going to move, what they were going to keep, what they were going to get rid of, and what the financial situation looked like. So their son, Henry, is, is working through all this stuff with them. And Betty, his mom, keeps saying, I just really would love a new armchair. You know, I just really would love one of those new recliners. They lift up. They're a little easier to get out of. They're comfortable. All our furniture just isn't comfortable for me anymore. I can hardly sit down. But her husband, Peter, keeps saying, Betty, I I don't think we can afford that. That costs a lot of money. Betty, honey, I don't think we can afford that. So one day as part of this process, Peter and Henry sit down to look at the financial situation and they spread all the papers out on the dining room table. They put their heads together and they talk 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 and they they dig out more papers and they talk and they talk and they finally get all the accounts figured out. And Henry finally has a sense of where his parents' finances really are. And then Betty comes in again. She brings some coffee and she says, boy, I just, I'm okay with leaving a lot of the stuff. We don't need to buy a lot new, but I just really would love a new chair. And probably a new chair for Peter, too. I think we both would really enjoy that. And Henry, her son, looks down at the table in front of them and says, Sure, Mom, we'll, we'll get you a new chair. I think out of this account, we can afford to get a couple new chairs for you. And Peter gets a little agitated. And he looks at his son, and he looks at his wife, and he says, No, no, honey, I'm sorry, but we can't afford that. That account only has eight in it. There's only eight in that account. We can't buy chairs. And Henry looks at his father and says, Dad... That account has $8,000 in it. We can afford to buy a couple chairs. We can do it. So Peter finally agrees. They move into the assisted living home, and, and they both have new chairs. Now, you can tell from that that Peter was an old Dutch guy and that he was much more into saving money than spending money. That was his thing. The problem wasn't that he didn't care about his wife. He had worked until he was about 87 to provide, and I'm not exaggerating, 87, to provide for his wife, to provide for his family, to make sure everyone had enough. But he'd lost track of, he'd lost track of how much he really had. He had all these resources, more than they could ever spend in the time they had left, but he couldn't get his head around it. All he could see was the price tag on things. He couldn't see the balances in all their accounts anymore. He'd lost track of what he had available to him. Often we lose track of all the resources that God has provided us with. All we see are our troubles, that we don't have as new a car or as nice a clothes or as big a house or or whatever. But the sun rose this morning. I would guess that all of us had food this morning and we've got a lot more food at home to eat. We have more than enough. We never go hungry. We hardly ever get too hot or too cold, and if we do, we usually just adjust the thermostat and everything's okay. God provides for us in so many ways. We have so much more than we could ever use, and yet we lose track of that so often. Toward the end of the passage we read for this morning, God gives humanity a particular gift that symbolizes the whole gift of creation. God talks about how he gives the people, well, he gives the people food. All the seed-bearing plants and all the fruit-bearing trees of the world are there for them to enjoy. And when we read that, we probably go, great. Yay, plants and fruit, woohoo. 
But the point is that God is giving us that as a symbol of this whole world. God provides food for us. He provides a place for us to live. He provides every day. And it's not that we've done anything for him. It's that he wanted to give us this as a gift, that he wants to take care of us. And if we just open our eyes, there will be a thousand gifts every day that we can give thanks to God for. From coffee in the morning to ice cream at night, the whole day through, we have so many things that we can give thanks for. And there's one more level of provision that we need to talk about today. Most of this sermon, as is fitting with the sermon on Genesis 1, has been about how God created the world to be. How God made things and he made them right and he made this world for us and he gives us this call to develop it. But, but even though God made the world very good, we've broken it. Even though God made us in his image, he made us with all these powers and privileges, we've wrecked it. We have made ourselves so much smaller and so much more broken and so much more not right than God made us to be. But when we broke his world, when we broke ourselves, God came down to us. We are God's created and beloved people, and when we went wrong, he came down to find us. God who walks with his head in the clouds, God who made the world, God who could do anything he wanted to, he became small like one of us. And he even surrendered himself to the humiliation of death so that he could make us right. So that he could build us back up to be the images of him that he created us to be. God provides for us through this creation. And he provides for us in Christ too. Christ brings us back to a place where we can mirror and reflect God. Life often does not work right but through the work of Christ, we can still live something of the kind of life that God designed for us. Through God's work in creation and in Christ, we can see that the Lord made us special. Through Christ, we can do good work that matters for eternity. In the world and in His Word, Jesus Christ, the Lord continues to take care of us and to provide for us every day. We are God's created people. We are God's created, valued, commissioned, cared for people. We are God's created people. All praise be to him. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. We are grateful that you made us and that you made this world. And Father, we pray that you help all of us to understand the special place that we have in creation. Help us to really understand how much you value all of us and how much you value each one of us. Lord, if we feel like our lives are worthless or empty or pointless these days, help us to see the gift of meaning that you have given to us. Help us to know that we are truly your beloved children. 
And Father, if we don't quite know what to do with ourselves, if we're wondering how our life has meaning or how we can do any kind of good thing, we pray that you lead us and guide us. We pray that you transform our lives so that we do good work and so that we understand the meaning of our labors. And Father, we pray that you continue to provide for us. Give us our daily bread. Help us to see that you are giving us our daily bread. And Father, we pray too that you continue to bless us with an abundance and excess and help us to really enjoy your gifts and to use them for the good of your kingdom and for the people around us. Father, we thank you for all the gifts that you have given us and especially this morning for the gift of your word and the opportunity to gather with you, your people. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.